This morning we continue to read from Matthew. We're in chapter 5, beginning in verse 43. You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So a couple of weeks ago, we were in here preparing for worship. We're making sure the flyer's in the right place. We're doing mic checks. Usually they turn my mic on and then they mute it. Well, that particular Sunday, apparently they turned my mic on and they didn't mute it. So we're in here laughing it up and we begin to get text and phone calls saying, David's mic is on, David's mic is on. So the early birds who were tuning in early on different platforms could hear us talking. Well, it was a little embarrassing, but we got right through it. They muted me. We pushed a couple of buttons. Then we were ready for the broadcast a few minutes later. But then when I finished church and went to my phone, I had a number of messages from people saying it was so good to hear the laughter that through the election and the racial strife and the pandemic, it's really been difficult and not much laughter, and it was good to hear laughing coming from the church. And I thought, you know, they are right. We need to laugh more. One of the things I miss most about Sunday mornings is how we used to all come here and the warm smiles and hugs and greetings, and there was always lots of laughter, the joy of being together in the body of Christ, gathering together with the church family. So I thought, you know, I can't wait until we can do that, but maybe we can add a little laughter even during the service. We've got the ouchy fauci to start with today. That helps, maybe. Professor Amy Jill Levine tells a story in her book, the book we've been using, Sermon on the Mount, A Beginner's Guide to the Kingdom of Heaven. She recalls a story from the play Fiddler on the Roof where the Jewish peasant who's been oppressed by the czar says to his rabbi, Rabbi, is there a blessing for the czar? The rabbi kind of scratches his head and thinks for a moment. A blessing for the czar. A bless- oh, of course. May God bless and keep the czar far away from us. Right? What do we do with enemies? with those who oppress us, with those we see as opponents, with people we do not care to be around or care for. This is one of the great challenges in Christian faith. Jesus brings it up in the text today in those first couple of verses we read. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who who persecute you. Now, for many of us, it's hard to love those closest to us, even the people in our family, to always want good to come. We experience conflict even in those relationships. 
but to put out the energy to think about doing the good or willing the good or loving our enemies and praying for those who have been mean or spiteful or persecuted us even more difficult. I don't see it much anymore, but those bumper stickers were popular for a while that said, the Bible says it, I believe it, that settles it. It's never that simple. If you take the Bible seriously, never that simple. To me, it seems more like Jesus says it, I hear it, and then I have to struggle with it. Not only to understand what he's calling for, but then when I understand figuring out how to do it, how to put it into practice, putting faith into action in real life conflicts is a challenge for all of us. It's something we have to work at. It's something that we're going to need God's help to make possible. We're going to need each other on this journey if we're going to take seriously what Jesus says about loving our enemies and doing good for everyone. We were thinking about all the different kinds of gospel proclamations a few years ago when we put in writing, articulated a vision for the congregation. I put it in your outline. We wrote it like this. The Boston Avenue Church seeks to be a thoughtful Christian community that connects all people with God's unconditional love. And then we listed seven core values, one of which read like this, the Boston Avenue Church nurtures our congregation to be ambassadors for reconciliation. Of course, that's right out of Scripture, that as part of being a follower of Christ, we're called, and that God is working to make us ambassadors for reconciliation. But I think we captured in those statements this threefold dynamic of personal commitment, group support, and God's help for us to fulfill this call of Christ on our life. For certainly that's what this is, a call from Christ teaching us, challenging us, showing us the way to be a faithful disciple or follower. But it's a commitment we all have to decide to make. We have to decide that we want to grow in our faith that we want to be a more deeply devoted disciple of Christ. But notice how Jesus frames this today. He doesn't frame this call to love your enemies because your enemies need it. He frames it as something you need, something that I need, that we need to love our enemies for our own good. Now, it's so easy if you're part of a majority group to say, you know, I don't really care about that. I don't really need those people. Fill in the blank of whomever you don't like or don't need. But it's easy to say that. But Jesus calls us to something different than that this morning. Listen again. After he says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, in verse 45 it says, so that you may be children of your Father in heaven, so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Jesus frames it, this call to action, to love even our enemies as something that's good for us. Most of us, I don't believe, think of it that way if we think of it at all. But Jesus is pointing out something really important here. Your choice here 
impacts your relationship with your Father in heaven. Can you believe that? That how you treat your enemies impacts your relationship with God? Are you willing to grapple with that seriously? To think about people who you've said bad things about or maybe even cursed or verbalized terrible things you wish would happen to them. I know it goes on a lot. I've experienced it in my own life. I believe that you probably have too. But Jesus is saying, think again when you're ready to say something terrible or think something terrible or even worse, do something terrible to somebody else or against somebody else. Jesus says there is a better way and it is to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you and that it impacts your relationship with your Father in heaven. Now, if that was the only challenge in these few verses today, that would be enough. I mean, when I read through the gospel, sometimes I think that's enough. I've got to stop Jesus enough already. But he doesn't stop with those first few verses that we've looked at. He goes on in that very last verse, verse 48. We heard him say this, Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, I have discussed this with hundreds of people over my decades in ministry. And the huge majority just say, I ignore that verse. I don't believe it's possible. I don't know why I said it. I'm not paying attention to it. I know I make mistakes. I know I'm not perfect. I can't be perfect. And they just throw that verse out as if it's not there in the scriptures. But stay with me for a few minutes this morning because I think this is one of the more important verses in the scriptures. And I think if you'll think with me about it, it will mean more to you as well. If you've been a long-time Methodist, I think you'll know that John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, talked a lot about perfection or being made perfect in love. He says over and over here to help us remember that the word perfect here is better understood as perfect in love. That is, full of love. Not that you don't ever make a mistake or that you know all things, but that God's love can so change and transform us from the inside out that at least all of our motives and all of our intentionality is fueled by this love of God we've experienced and that we want to share with others. That we can be so filled up with God's love that love really is the motivating force in our lives that we are full of love because we are a follower of christ wesley reminded us he probably wrote more about this than any other christian theologian about how love and god's grace are at work in our lives before we know it and then in that moment of awareness we call salvation or coming to christ but also after that working in us in this process he called sanctification or sanctifying grace to change us into people who are ever more loving. The Gospels say that God's love can do that. That we can be people who live out love in all we say and do. That that really is a possibility. Professor Levine, again in her book, Sermon on the Mount, helps us here. 
She helps us grasp this a little better. I'm going to read just a few sentences of what she wrote. She writes, Jesus instructs, act the way God would act. Act as if you fully recognize that your enemy is also in the image and likeness of God. The New Revised Standard Version, that's the one I read to you from on Sunday mornings, reads, be perfect. As if Jesus is issuing a command. Not quite, she says. While that you is in a place of prominence and while the verb can function as an imperative, the Greek verb is not an imperative, but a future indicative. Jesus states that if we will follow his instructions, we will be perfect. She says he is less giving a command than making a statement. I would say it a little different. Rather than a command, Jesus is making a promise. This is one of the promises in the gospel that God can make us perfect in love, that we can experience abundant life and fullness of life and the wholeness that God intends because God's love is being poured into our hearts and souls. So rather than a command, Jesus is making a promise. This can be for you and for me. Dr. Roberta Bondi was our Barton Clinton Gordy lecturer a few years ago. She talked a lot about this, about how the early Christians believed this very thing, that God can make us lovers of all of humankind. She said it like this. She named one of her books this, Love as God Loves. That God's love makes us whole or mature or complete that we can truly be full of love and share that with others. So when we think of perfect, think mature or whole rather than just without mistakes. I think it will change the whole meaning of the passage for you. Listen to it again in that light. Jesus says, you've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Then as we read it the first time, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. But what if we use what Professor Levine and John Wesley taught us? Then that last verse, I put it in your outline as an amplified verse. It could read like this, then you will be complete in love, or you will be whole or mature in love Therefore, as your heavenly Father is. It has a bit of a different meaning when we understand the Greek word used here and the connotation and implications of what that love is all about. John Wesley was pressed late in his life about whether or not this was really possible. 
People were asking, where are the Methodists that are full of love? He named a handful of people. But he admitted that it is a rare thing, that it might take a lifetime. But we should expect God's love to make us fully loving. He continued to argue it wouldn't be in the Gospels if it wasn't possible. You can't just rule it out, he says. You have to wonder and struggle with what's being said, what Jesus is teaching about what is possible when we live in concert with God's will and are open to God's love. One of our core values, we talk about our spiritual growth being a lifetime journey. That if we really believe, as John Wesley wanted the Methodists to believe that this was possible, then we have to be open to God working in us and transforming us and changing us over a lifetime. We've got to come to believe that God has more joy and more love and more fullness of life than we've ever experienced. And all of that is before us. That's what he's saying, I think, when he's saying the rain and the sun, it's offered to everyone. It's offered to all but only some respond, only some receive that love of God and then share it with others. It made me think of a school teacher beginning a school year full, class full of children. They don't all look alike. They don't all dress alike. They may not even all speak the same language. They don't all come from the same place. They don't all come equally prepared for the classroom. And yet the teacher has high hopes for all of them. The teacher hopes all of them will learn and grow and mature over the course of that year. The teacher goes into the year with high hopes for each and every child. That's the kind of hope Jesus is laying before us in the text today, saying that God loves all of us, the righteous and the unrighteous those who have already done well and those who are still trying, that God's love is available for each and every one of us. I hope we can move into 2021 with that kind of hope, believing that truly Christ is showing us a way to live life that's full of faith, hope, and love. What an experience it would be for any of us in 2021 to open ourselves more fully to God's love changing and transforming us so that we might love our enemies, that we might pray for those who persecute us, that we might be those through whom God can work to do good in the world. Let us be a people who find this great joy in God's love for all. When we do so, 2021 can be magnificent. Amen. And thanks be to God.